Liverpool 3 0. Call it, take it quickly, Origi! Yeah! Hello and welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. It's been a few weeks since we've seen the Reds in action, but we've got a massive seven or ten days ahead of us. The sun's shining and we're hoping that things are going to be positive after this international break. But before we get stuck into discussing the games against Arsenal and Real Madrid, which are on the horizon, we've got a bit of a transfer news, guys. So Ibrahima Kanate has been linked from RB Leipzig and it seems like the deal's at quite an advanced stage. So, James and Paddy, I guess the first kind of thing to talk about is, do we reckon that's a good move? Yeah, I think it's a very good signing. I think we spoke about it, you know, a couple of weeks ago. I think it was after the transfer window shut on the on the podcast about, you know, Upamecano or Canate being the main two that we, you know, we'd be sort of happy with. Um, obviously, Upamecano went to Bayern Munich, but looks like the... We seem to do this sort of business when no one's watching. We seem yeah. to make little moves here and there. You know, look at Van Dyke and uh, Naby Keita and Fabinho. No one really saw those coming, and this was another one. But I'm, I'm really happy with that signing. Yeah, I think it's definitely a good move. I mean, we're getting one of the best young defenders around, and I think his style suits us perfectly as well. Um, you know, Uwe McCann was getting a lot of praise for, I suppose, I suppose putting the RB Leipzig defence on his back, I suppose. But... Um, in 2018-19 it was actually Kanate was probably their best defender and he was only I think 19 at the time um, then he was unfortunate last year to miss, to miss um, a lot of games with injury which I'm sure we'll get on to later on but I think that allowed Ufa Meccano to win his position back and kind of I suppose with Leipzig progressing to become one of the better teams in Europe I, I think as to be says I think Ufa Meccano is getting a lot of praise for being their, their star centre back but I think it could have very easily been Kanate that everyone is raving about this year yeah, and obviously the deal's not complete yet, but at time of recording, it seems like a 40 million euro release clause is what he's got in his contracts. Personal terms seem to be progressing, so hopefully, you know, it's quite a straightforward deal. Um, he's quite well known for obviously his height. He's very good at winning aerial duels. Do you think that'd be a big part of FSG and Klopp's thinking in, in making a move for him, James? Yeah, I think it's a big thing, especially the likes of the the lower league sides, you know, Burnley and, and and teams like that who will play route one, who will look to knock the ball up over the top. To have somebody with that aerial presence about them, apart, you know, someone alongside Van Dijk potentially, it would make a massive difference. I know Joe Gomez isn't the tallest partner for, for Van Dijk to have. Um, so, no, I think it'll, you know, like... Paddy said, and like you've just mentioned there, his pace and his height will be, I think it's the perfect combination for, for the Premier League. Yeah, I think this season, I think he's an aerial win rate of 83%, which is massive because Virgil van Dijk's, of his time in the Premier League, his highest um, season for aerial win percentage was 81%. So I know it's a small sample size. Canadi hasn't played that much this year, but um, I think, still think that that's a very promising stat. I think it and then, yeah, as we say, he has the pace to play in the high line because that's kind of where we're struggling with Nat Phillips and Kabak is, while Kabak is, is quick over, I suppose, 10 or 15 yards, he's, he's slow to turn, whereas um, Kanate is, is fairly light in his feet for a big man. He, um, he'll he be able to, I suppose, if Van Dijk or Gomez isn't able to play, he'll have a ready-made substitute to come in and, and play the exact same style as when they're there. Do you think that's what it is, James, then, in terms of, Going into the pecking order of centre-backs, Liverpool will obviously have Van Dijk, Gomez, Matip coming back from injury, um, not to mention potentially bringing Kabak in, which we'll talk about a bit later. 
do you think it will still be kind of Van Dijk, Gomez as you preferred to, and Canate would then be the next down, like third choice slash rotating with Gomez for that partnership with Van Dijk? Yeah, I think it'll be Van Dijk and Gomez to start the season, but I think until Gomez gets injured or until he makes a few mistakes and his form isn't there, then that's when I think Canate will come in. I think in this day and age, you don't pay the 41 million euro release clause. I know it's only about 33 sterling, um, but you don't go paying that for someone who's just going to sit on your bench, I think, with his age in mind and Gomez's injury history. I think they've got him in mind to be Van Dijk's partner for the future. Um, but yeah, I think it'll be Gomez and Van Dijk to start the season off if, big if, Canate was to sign. Yeah, I think definitely Gomez and Van Dijk are still going to be the first choice partnership when, when they're both fit. I mean, it suppose it depends on if Gomez is able to get a full preseason in and if he's actually going to be 100% fit for the start of the season. Um, if not, yeah, I, I, to be honest, I'd probably, if Matip stays and he's 100% fully fit, I'd probably have him ahead of Canate as well at this stage. But that's such a rarity that... Um, you know, it's not really realistic to even talk about it. So, but yeah, I think definitely in the long term, I suppose after Van Dyke, hopefully won't be for a few years yet. But Gomez and Canate is it's an insanely promising partnership because they're two of the very best young centre backs in the world. I think so. Having both them in our books would definitely be a good thing for us. I guess the one kind of negative what we have to talk about when we're talking about potential of this deal is that Canate's injury record. Um, Liverpool obviously this season had so many injuries, predominantly at centre-back, is bringing in another centre-back with a similar kind of injury history. A bit of a risk? Uh, it's a tricky one because the transfer fee isn't, you know, we've not gone out and paid 70, 80 million for somebody who who carries these sorts of injuries. Um, and I don't think it's a massive risk, to be honest with you. I mean, we can all remember the Nabil Fekir deal that <laughs> never went through, you know, you know, he apparently had a, a knee made of glass and just one more injury could end his career. And I don't think he's missed a game for best, Real Betis since he signed for them from Leon. So I guess, you know, you never know with any player if they're going to get a big, uh, you know, big injury. Look at Van Dijk. He never had this sort of injury before. Then he's out for the majority of the season. So like I said, with the transfer fee involved, I don't think it's a huge risk. Yeah, I, I actually don't. I think there's been a bit much made out of it, to be honest. I think there's people are kind of overreacting because there's that screenshot of the transfer marked injury history list going around and everyone's kind of talking about that. But if you actually look at it, then you realise that I think most of the injuries that didn't even miss a game for Leipzig it was only small knocks that, um, you know, mistraining or whatever. I think he's only really had two serious enough injuries and one was the one last year where he missed most of the season. And I think there was an ankle injury, I think, that he missed a few weeks with. So that's only two injuries I know he's young and um, I think there was a few I suppose complications with that one big injury that he did have which kind of he was kind of just getting back and then he was injured again but um, I think the recruitment staff wouldn't be going for him if they thought it was going to be an issue and you know we should be trusting our recruitment staff I think yeah absolutely I think just when people see the word centre-back Liverpool and injury in the same sentence they get a little bit panicked after the season we've just had but uh yeah, it doesn't. See, it does seem like a lot more has been made out of it than is probably probably true. Um, does the signing of Canate, should it all go through as it looks, you know, looks positive at the moment? Does that do you think kind of signal the start of some kind of rebuild in terms of Liverpool squad? Obviously, you've got Curtis Jones who's came through the season. He's in his twenties. Canate's in his early twenties. If Liverpool were to make the Kabak loan permanent he's another young player 
know, Trent Alexander-Arnold's obviously very, very young. And then any potential incomings this summer that are yet to happen, you'd assume they'd be around the early 20s, mid-20s, given FSG and Michael Edwards' kind of recruitment strategy. Do you think this summer, summer 2021, could kind of be that first real kind of trigger for a, not an overhaul, but some kind of moving, changing of the guard almost? Yeah, I think it does. I think, you know, it's very well documented how many games the likes of Salamani and Firmino have all played together and how few games they've missed, same as Robertson. Um, I think especially with this COVID market that we're in now that, you know, the club are probably planning for the financial hit for the next couple of seasons. So they're going to have to start now and get them younger. You know, they can't afford to get a Canati in two years' time where in that time he signed a new deal and his release clause has gone even higher. So I think it, it... this is going to be a summer where, you know, if you look at the last two, we signed Adrian after winning the Champions League and that was really it. Yeah. And then Minamino in the in the January transfer window. And then last summer we signed Thiago, but we're only paying that over four years. And then we signed Jota, but we only paid 10% of that up front. So we haven't really made any signings for the last two years, but I think now this summer is, I think this will be a big summer for the club in terms of the, the, the incomings more than the outgoings. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of what age profile we go for. With I assume we're going to make another two or three signings this summer, as well as Kanata. Um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of ages they go for because Liverpool have been going for, I suppose, 23, 24-year-olds for the last, since Klopp came in, really, which is you know about as sensible as you can get. Whereas now, because our team is so good and because we have so many top-class players in the prime, we can afford to go that bit younger and maybe take a bit more of a gamble on a 20-year-old or 21-year-old rather than, I suppose, paying an extra 30 million for a 23, 24, 25-year-old. So, um, yeah, it could be, I suppose, a hint towards the future of our kind of business rather than being a club that's being built up. It's kind of a club that's, you know, being built on, if you get me. Yeah, and I wonder if that might have been sparked a little bit more in FSG's mind given the season Liverpool have had, obviously, as it stands outside the top four places the year after winning the league, is obviously below par, less than ideal. And there's mitigating factors because of that with injuries, etc. But I do wonder if, you know, part of the board and FSG and Michael Edwards thinking, they might have kind of accelerated that process a little bit. And we've not even mentioned Harvey Elliott, who's obviously doing fantastic things on loan at Blackburn Rovers, who you'd expect to become a first-team player, if not next season, within the next maybe, you know, 18 months to two years. Obviously, that's a guy coming into the club um, in terms of Canate. When someone signs in a position, obviously that raises question marks over other players in that position. So, Joel Matip, um, he's also been at the club now for, what, we coming up to five, five years or so, and um, one of Klopp's very first signings when he came in from Schalke. Do we think, given his injury record that's been well-documented, not just this season, but really throughout his Liverpool career, his injury record's been pretty poor, um, do we think Canate coming in, could that put a question mark on whether Matip is one we let go this summer, given his injuries and his age? Personally, I don't think it does. But in a financial sense, I, I think it will. So I, I I personally think that he's still Liverpool's... I think he, he's on par with being better than Joe Gomez in terms of playing the ball out from the back and, and being good in the air. Um, but I just think his how long you're going to get, how many games you're going to get out of him, how long he's going to be able to stay fit for is another question. If a big offer or a decent offer comes in in the summer, I think if Cabback plays well, as you know, till the end of the season as well, and we've seen that Phillips come in and do well, it does just add more question marks around the future of Matic, but I'm a big fan of his. I don't want to see him go, but I think from a financial point of view, 
I think the club might just let him go if the right offer comes in. Yeah, I personally still think that he's a future of the club. I mean, I think if he was on huge wages, I'd say, okay, fair enough, let him know, let him go. But I think, you know, he's not costing the club much by having him there. And, you know, we have to remember how good he is when he's fit because, like, Matt can be out for three months and then come straight back in after a week training and just be world class. Like, yeah. so I think it's valuable having somebody like that in the squad because when he is fit, he's such a big asset to have. And then at the same time, he's not going to be playing enough games to make, you know, Kanate unhappy with his lack of minutes. So I think, yeah, he, it's definitely worth keeping him in the squad. I think he's very underrated, isn't he, among kind of rival fans as well, because he doesn't get that get as much game time as other centre-backs in the league purely because of his injury record. Maybe there's not as much eyes on him as there is on a Gomez or a Van Dijk, but we've seen him, you know, the game that stands out in my head particularly is that Champions League campaign when we won the Champions League in 2019, the 4-0 win against Barcelona um, particularly. Obviously, everyone was unbelievable that night, but when you think that he was up against, you know, Messi, Suarez, Coutinho, and his performance was absolutely outstanding. Um, so yeah, I would also concur with that. I wouldn't like to see him leave the club, but I can also kind of see what James says as well. Like he's not getting any younger; his value is only going to drop. So if an offer was to come in from from elsewhere, what do we think this means for Ozan Kabak? Um, obviously, he's not played a great deal of games for Liverpool so far. He's only you know still very very recent at the club. I think we can all kind of agree that the consensus is that he's done okay. Um, there's a couple of games that's been really, really good. A couple of games that's probably been quite poor. So I would probably say overall he's kind of been a okay deal so far. We have until June the 1st before we kind of have to inform Schalke whether we're going to make the loan permanent or not. Do we think Canate coming in will impact that in any way? Or is Canate going to come in as well as a Kabak or another? I think because the Kabak deal will potentially be so cheap, I think the club might be willing to still take Kabak on as well, especially like we've just mentioned, John Matip. If you let him go, um, then I think they'll they'll definitely you know be more inclined to make Kabak permanent. I agree with what you said. You know, he's had some really good performances and he's had some some really iffy ones where you've looked at him and gone, God, you know, we we brought him in, but those games where he hasn't played so well. He hasn't played alongside a natural centre-back. Yeah. You know, we had Jordan Henderson alongside him and then Henderson went off injured in the derby and it's just been, a, for a young kid, it's been a lot of, you know, chop and change for him. But I've been impressed with him so far and, you know, I wouldn't be so against making the deal permanent in the summer. Yeah, I mean, if we do sign Canati, we're going to have seven centre-halves on our book if we make Kabak permanent as well. So I think, as good as Nat Phillips has been, I think he's going to go in the summer. I think maybe even... Um, ben Davis probably won't ever play a game for Liverpool if Gomez, Matip and Van Dijk are back fit I can't see how he's ever going to get a few minutes um, so I think the two of them probably going to leave um, then Kabak like if we have four centre-halves at the club are we really going to have a 23-year-old and two 21-year-olds because that's it's crazy really you need kind of experience in the back line especially when centre-backs don't peak till they're I suppose nearly 30 so it's an interesting one. I mean, the price, what is it, 18 million pounds up front? I mean, you could buy him for 18 million and sell him for 25 million. I mean, Leipzig are going to be looking for a centre half, and he's exactly the kind of signing that they make. So, I mean, that's a possibility. Buy him for 18 million, sell him at a profit straight away, try bring in somebody more experienced. But um, yeah, I suppose it does depend on how he plays for the rest of the season. 
I think a lot of people forget about how young go, like Joe Gomez is as well, given how experienced he is and how many Premier League games he's played. Yeah, he's younger than Nat Phillips. Uh, <laughs> it was obviously yeah. one that you, I agree, um, Paddy. I think he probably will move on probably to maybe a championship club or a bottom half Premier League club in, in the summer. Um, he's probably raised his value a little bit as well, which will make Michael Edwards uh, happy, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Staying on the transfer kind of talk just before we move on to previewing the fixtures we've got coming up. Marcel Sabitzer at Leipzig, obviously Canate's teammate, has obviously been tentatively linked with a move to the Premier League um, in recent days. I think he's kind of said he wants to try something different from Leipzig. Um, a couple of English clubs have been linked with him. Liverpool's name has been mentioned, as well as Manchester United and Tottenham. Um, nothing really concrete at this stage, but what do we think of that, James, if it were to happen? There's a lot of things that need to happen before then, but yeah, I think I think he's a really good player. Um, he, he looked dangerous against us when we played them in the Champions League, and I think it goes to the show. I think he's captained them, you know, quite a few times now. Um, yeah. so it just shows what what the uh, the Leipzig manager thinks about him. I just think with that one is you've got so many midfielders now where you're going to have Henderson, Fabinho. It all depends on Wijnaldum, but if you take him out of the picture, you've still then got Thiago, Curtis Jones, Oxley Chamberlain. You know, it is a very compact midfield if we are only going to play with a three. Um, so I think we'd have to see some outgoings before we saw him coming in and would it impact the development of Curtis Jones? Similar type of players, similar positions, you know, you never know, but we'll just have to wait and see. I'd be happy with it, but I think we'd have to see, there'd have to be a lot more outgoings before he even came in. Yeah, I suppose if you wanted a like for like when Alden replacement, I suppose in terms of leadership and tactical flexibility and you're not experienced then Savitz would be a great signing to make I suppose um, yeah I think he has captain Leipzig a lot I think Willy Orban is their club captain but he rarely plays so Savitzer is is often the, the man of the armband he's um the only thing is he as I say he's 27 I think so if we wanted to kind of continue on what we were talking about earlier both build a younger squad for the next 10 years he's not the man to sign obviously but um, yeah, I, I'm not sure there's much in it, to be honest. I think that there's a rumour he might want to leave and then Liverpool need a Wijnaldum replacement. So people are just kind of putting two and two together and, and getting six, I suppose. But um, yeah, look, if if the club go for him, then I'm sure he'd be a great sign. And if not, you know, I won't be too bothered by it. Yeah, and Liverpool and Leipzig have obviously done a lot of business together, or Liverpool and the Red Bull kind of franchise in general with Keita, Minamino, Nakanato. So it's quite an obvious link link to make. Um, one final bit on transfers is, as always seems to happen when players go on international breaks, is that a few whispers come out from, you know, kind of the big names about maybe they want to move on. Um, Mo Salah, um, there's been a little bit of talk that obviously his contract is coming to an end in, I think, two years. And there's been a little bit of discussions about what will happen. Um, will he sign? Know, an extended deal, which you'd imagine would take him, it would take him into his 30s and the very latter stages of his career. Or with, will Liverpool kind of think of cashing him in now, where you know his, his value is probably at its highest? It's probably not going to get any higher if he signs a new contract, that is, um, and maybe bring in, you know, kind of a household name, puts that money towards a. In an ideal world, it'd be a Haaland or Mbappe, but that's probably unlikely. But you know what I mean. I'm sure his output whatever happens won't drop because he's a consummate professional. Um, but James, what, do, what would you think will, will happen there? I think I think the club will, will hopefully, 
obviously put the offer in front of him. And I think he'll, obviously with the COVID world, always probably going to meet the demands that we're sort of asking for him. So I do expect him to stay. I mean, I read the comments that he said, and he doesn't really say he wants to play for a certain club. He just sort of says, you know, you never know what's going to happen in the future. And, you know, I guess he's not going to stay at Liverpool forever. So he does have to keep his his options open, you know, for potential suitors. But um, I do think he'll he'll end up staying Um I don't. I don't see the club selling him at the moment. I don't think, like I said, we're going to get anywhere near what we value him. If if Mbappe is going for, you know, I think they want 120 million for Haaland. So Liverpool are going to want more for somebody who's done it for longer. But obviously he's a lot older, so it, it, it's it's going to be a hard one. But I think he'll. I think he'll end up staying at Anfield. Yeah, I mean, I think in the interview he said, I hope to stay for many more years. So I think in his mind he has another seven or eight years left in his career. Whereas I think easily two of those could be at Liverpool. And then after that, who knows what happens. But um, yeah, I just don't think there's anybody with the money to buy him this summer. Definitely. I mean, Real Madrid have been stung by Hazard, you know, signing a, was he 28, 29 year old for massive money? It's They've only recently found out that that's probably not the best way to go. So I don't think they're going to do that again. If Messi leaves Barca, maybe, I suppose, if they want a right winger. But I mean, again, similarly with them, Griezmann hasn't worked out at all for them. So are they really going to spend big on someone that age again? I don't think so. Um, yeah, I think definitely he's going to be with Liverpool next year. After that, then I think the club would have to be open to sell him if they want to, you know, be able to fund a new sign-in to replace him. Because, you know, by the time he gets to 2023, he's going to be over 30. It's going to be tough to get any money from it all, really. So, yeah, definitely for this season hold on to him I don't think he's going anywhere great um, in terms of the next game obviously at time of recording we're a few days away there's still a couple of internationals to go so fingers crossed all the boys come back unscathed um, it's obviously Arsenal at the Emirates next on Saturday the late game on Saturday evening um, it seems like such a long time since Liverpool played trying to remember <laughs> what the last game was but I think it was that that 1-0 narrow win against Wolves where Jota um, obviously got the winner what are we expecting from this guys obviously the both teams will have a lot of players coming back from international duty. Um, obviously, I guess you have to say it's a must-win given for both teams, almost given their positions in the table, James. Yeah, it's it's a huge game to come back from an international break. Um, from you know, you, you potentially like an easy game. I think the last international break we came back from was the Merseyside derby as well. So we don't tend to get the easiest fixtures <laughs> to come back to. Um, it's a tricky one with Arsenal because Arteta obviously he likes them to play. You know possession-based football and likes them to dictate the game. But then you watch them against Man City um, a couple of weeks ago and they had all 11 players behind the ball. And yeah. I don't know, it's just going to be a tricky one to expect from them. I think it's going to be a, a, more of a case of we have to break them down and they're going to hit us on the counter-attack with the likes of Pepe, Lacazette, Aubameyang and Odegaard and those sorts of players. Um, I think it's going to be a cagey game. Both players, both sets of players coming back from international. Um Expect us to get the win, but I think it's going to be a tight game. Yeah, it's hard to know. I think Arsenal are one of the most unpredictable teams around. I mean, you know, beat Spurs as convincingly as they did, then lose in the Europa League, then go 3 down to West Ham in the first half, and then come back and draw 3 all. I mean, who knows what they're going to do. Um, you know, they beat us at the end of last season, so anything can happen with them. I think, as regards to the, our players come back from the international break, it's going to be interesting to see who plays for the country during this midweek. I mean, Thiago didn't start for Spain at the weekend, so he had a bit of a break there. I know he came on after 56 or seven minutes around there. Um, so he's had, at least he's had a bit of a break. 
Um, Robertson is probably going to play three ninety minutes, so it's going to be tough for him to come back in when Alden the same. Even though I think Scotland and Holland are playing weak enough teams during the week, I still expect both of them to start and, and probably play the ninety. Um, other than that, you know, Salah is had his last game yesterday, so he should be, you know, nice and rested. Mane is, I think Senegal are playing right now as we speak. I don't know if he's starting or not, but, you know, he's going to get, I suppose, five or six days rest anyway. So, yeah, we're going to be well enough rested, I think, and um, it's going to be both teams, I suppose, on an even playing field, I think. And I guess the big question in terms of team selection surrounding Liverpool will be will be the attack. The defence kind of picks itself through necessity. Um, be the old question mark about midfield, I suppose, about who's going to go in there along with Fabinho and um, Thiago. Um, it'll probably be Thiago, Wijnaldum and Fabinho, the usual three there. So in attack, obviously Firmino missed a few games before the break of injury. I'm not actually sure off the top of my head what his status is. Um, but you've got to put Jota in from the start, haven't you, James? I think you look at the way he played in the Wolves game, I think we spoke about it after the game, where he doesn't just stick to the one position, he, he drifts to the left, to the right, he gives the opponents more to think about than Firmino the, uh, these days, and also his two goals for Portugal against Serbia over the weekend, I think just goes to show how much he's stepped up to the plate for his international team as well. Um so I would personally go for him because obviously Firmino's coming back from injury as well. And I think we need people who are at the sharpest for such a big game. So that's why I'd, I'd go Jota. Yeah, I suppose it does depend on how fit Firmino is. I know he was back training and when the most recent pictures came out from Kirby. So I'm not sure if he's in full training or, or what stage he's at. But to be honest, I'd probably, if Firmino is ready to go, I'd, I'd play him against Arsenal because I want to see Mane, um, I want to see Mane, Jota and Salah up front against Real Madrid. So... I think resting Mane wouldn't be a bad thing to do this weekend in terms of midfield. I'd definitely give Wijnaldum a break. I'd play Naby Keita because I'm not saying whether it's the, the right thing or the wrong thing, but Wijnaldum is playing against Real Madrid. We know that for a guarantee pretty much. Um, so I'd like to see Fabinho, Thiago and Naby. So yeah, the defence picks itself. Other than that, we have the new newly moustached Allison in goals. So let's see how, if he's the same player. Um but yeah, I think there's probably only the two really interesting um, positions up for grabs, I suppose. So obviously following the Arsenal game, it's probably Liverpool's biggest game of the season, you could say, um, away to Real Madrid. Um, obviously, this is kind of you'd say Liverpool's last silverware this season and a potential route to the Champions League next season if they do miss out via, via the league table. Just how big is this game, James, for Liverpool? It's huge. I mean, it either says you need to finish fourth or you need to win the Champions League. It's, it, it's, this is the defining moment of the season, I think, personally. Um, it's just huge for them, especially, you know, like we said, Chelsea have come into form this season and, you know, they're stretching away from us. And, you know, you're wondering where they're going to drop points and where Leicester are going to drop points. So it, it does look like that winning the Champions League is our best route to Champions League football next season, which is mad to think that we're going to have to win the whole competition to qualify for the same yeah. competition next season. But it, it's it's just a huge game. Um, just one I can't wait to watch. Yeah, it couldn't get much bigger, to be honest. I, I suppose if there was a crowd, that would be the only thing that could make it, I suppose, feel like a bigger occasion. As James says, the Champions League is, is the best chance we have to save our season, I suppose. And, and I suppose playing in Europe next season not Europa League, obviously, but playing in the Champions League next season is massive for us. Not just for ne- not just for next season, but for 
you know, years down the line in terms of recruitment and money and, and who we're going to be able to buy this summer. Um, so, yeah, honestly, couldn't get much bigger than this. Oh, obviously, we know that Real Madrid are not the same team that beat us in the Champions League final in 2018. Since Zidane kind of left after that game and came back, they've obviously kind of declined a little bit for various reasons, uh, financially, and you know the their squad as a whole is not among Europe's elite at this moment in time. I think it's fair to say. Um, with that in mind, where do we kind of think the favourites are in this game? We say we're the favourites, or or who they are, it's kind of hard to weigh up when you think, if this game happened this time last year, you'd say Liverpool were very much the favourites. Given the injuries in league form, it's a bit more 50-50, isn't it? Yeah, it, I, I, to be honest, I can't call it um, between the two of us. Um, you can't even go off European pedigree because, you know, Madrid are the most successful and we're one of, you know, we're then in, in the next group. Um, I, think, I think they're just slight favourites because the squad is more balanced of what they've got. They haven't got as many injuries to key positions of what, as what we've got. Yes, they've sold key players, but they haven't lost them through injury or so they haven't come into the season planning to have them, um, which I, make, I think just makes them slight favourites. And yes, they don't play, they haven't performed well in the league, but Madrid always seems to be a team that turns it on in the Champions League. There's just something about them, a bit like ourselves, but more so with them where they'll finish third in the Liga, but then they'll go on and win the Champions League and yeah. all's forgotten, do you know what I mean? So I just make them slight favourites just just on that basis. Yeah, I suppose if we're going man for man, both teams fully fit, I think there's no question that we're the better team. At the rate things are going now, I think obviously they have to be favourites, I suppose, if you're taking our leave form into consideration, then yeah. But then they have got a few injuries themselves. I mean, I think Cruz is out. I think Fede Valverde is out so it's going to be interesting to see who plays midfield for them because you know I think yeah five years ago Cruz Casemiro and Modric was the best midfield in the world but I think now Modric is 35 even though he's had a bit of a renaissance this season Cruz is looking slower and slower by the day but um, I think we definitely are going to come out on top in the midfield battle so that could be the win and losing of the game um, you know I mean there's six points up to the top of the table in La Liga which doesn't sound too bad but then you think of it Atletico aren't any great shakes and not to beat us last year, but you know, Chelsea dealt with them fairly convincingly. Barcelona, we all know that they're not, you know, the team they were. So look, they're not Real Madrid aren't the same team as they were before, but you know, they still have dangerous players and, and it's still Real Madrid at the end of the day. They're obviously not playing at the Bernabeu this season. I think it's going under some redevelopments and so they're playing their home fixtures at the Stefano um, training complex. It seems like a strange thing to say, given that there's no fans there. But does that, you think, give Liverpool a little bit of advantage, even if it's, you know, a small one, because they're not going to such a kind of iconic stadium that's associated with all these great Real Madrid moments? I would have thought, I thought maybe it could have made a little effect. I think it's a bit weird that they're playing at the training ground and the training ground looks like a championship stadium, um, to be honest with you. It, it does look very strange. Um, I would have maybe put it in as a factor but seeing how we just performed away in Budapest over the two legs against Leipzig with no fans and in a stadium that wasn't Leipzig's um, and the way we came through that one I don't think it's going to going to make a big difference um, but we'll just have to wait and see yeah I suppose when there's no crowd there it doesn't make that much of a difference it's you know the pitch is still the same size and we still have the same 11 guys on the field so 
I suppose it's all the one, maybe when you take into account the history of the Bernabeu and all that. But um, yeah, I don't think it's going to have much playing in the mind of any of the players. And staying on that, those kind of themes of marginal gains, obviously Liverpool play Arsenal quite, you know, Saturday night, then it's Tuesday evening. So it's kind of like three, well, not even a three day gap really when you have to factor travelling into things as well. Um Klopp's obviously not going to be happy about that. We all know what he thinks about fixture congestion. But you just kind of think, why could that Arsenal game not be played at midday, at least on Saturday or, or, or Friday night, for instance? Uh, do you think that could have an impact? I think it could do, especially after the international break. And, you know, like Paddy alluded to before, why Wijnaldum and Robertson look like they're probably going to play three consecutive 90-minute games. And, you know, we've only just got Fabinho back and we've only just got some stability at the back. The last thing you need is, especially in this Arsenal game, which I do expect to be, you know, a high-intensity game, I expect us to come out of the blocks to try and finish the game off as early as we can to maybe rest some players for the the Real Madrid game. Um, but, yeah, it's it's not ideal. Like you said, we're probably not going to travel till Monday or early Monday morning, which means you've only got Sunday to really rest and then, before you know it, you've got the game, like you said, on Tuesday night. So, yeah, it's, it's far from ideal going into such a big game. Yeah, it's definitely not ideal. I suppose in terms of travel, it's not. But Real Madrid are playing Saturday at, I think, quarter past three. I think they're home to Ibar. So they haven't got, you know, that much rest either. Um, I suppose if you play Saturday, you're going to have recovery session on Sunday and then you're going to have to have a preparation session on Monday. So, you know, they're not going to get a full day's rest or anything like that either. So, um Again, it's an even playing field for, for both sides. I know we have to do the obviously the bit of travel or whatever, but um, in terms of resting the legs, then you know it's it's not that big a difference. So, what do we think kind of constitutes a positive result here? Obviously, your dictionary definition, great uh, away performance in Europe, is like a one 0 win with an away goal and a clean sheet. Would you take a, a score draw, for example, get that away goal? You know, however it comes, even if it's you know. 2-1 defeat or something. Getting that away goal is so important, I feel, in European fixtures. Yeah, I agree. I think the away goal is going to be absolutely massive because it'll just completely change the whole, you know, outlook on, on the home leg. I think that's what did us last season, coming away from Atletico Madrid. You know, we lost 1-0 and then your back is up against the wall, even though you're at home and you, you fancy to go through you know, Real Madrid, especially with the players like Ramos and you know, they're going to make it hard for you, you know, especially in, in the second leg. So, I mean, I wouldn't mind the Ben Ayun masterclass that we had um, under Benitez. You know, a nice 1-0 win would probably be the perfect result. But like you said, if it's a 1-1 or a 2-2, we, I'll, I'll take it. Just as long as we don't, it's not 2-0 Madrid or, do you know what I mean? Just don't want to get, yeah, want to, yeah, I want to be positive going into the second leg rather than, than dreading it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely taking a two-all draw. I think, you know, getting two away goals will be massive for us. Um, you know, it just gives you that bit of breathing room. If you go away from home and you don't score, you're already under savage pressure coming into the home game. Um, so, yeah, obviously, a win would be great. But a score draw would be, would be fine as well. As long as you don't lose the game, and like, you know, 3-0, 4-0, then you'd be confident enough for a relatively confident yeah, and you got to remember as well that when they come to Anfield, obviously the issue is that the rule kind of becomes a little bit unfair once you enter that extra time period. So we have to factor in that obviously is what happened to Liverpool last season against Atletico when we ended up losing, was that they scored a couple in, in extra time, didn't they? So it basically killed the tie dead. So going into that Anfield leg, we want to kind of be 
you know, have got a positive result already in Spain. We don't want to be chasing the game from the off. And then that's in the back of the minds. If it does go to extra time and they get one, it effectively, it effectively kills the game. Um, one final point on this match. In terms of, like, obviously, we know that Liverpool are going to have Quebec and Phillips at the back. Are we a bit worried about, you know, carrying Benzema coming up against them? He's a very experienced guy. He's kind of, since I think Ronaldo's left Real Madrid, I think that, that even their fans appreciate him a little bit more. He's been there a very long time. I think, you know, 10, 12 years he's been at Real Madrid. So he's not many players stay there that long. And he's always a goal threat. Do we need, how worried do we need to be about that kind of matchup of our centre backs and himself? I, yeah, there's definitely, uh, you know, have to be worried about him. He's like fine wine. He just seems to be getting better with age. And, you know, like you said, then since Ronaldo's left, he's sort of been the man who has sort of carried the club on his shoulders in terms of scoring goals. I think he'll probably go down as one of Real Madrid's all-time greatest players for the, the amount of goals he scores a season and what he's won at the club. I think this is this is probably Kabak and Phillips' bigger te- biggest test so far. I know they've played in in some games together and played some games apart and they've played quite well. But this is definitely the biggest test because you know Benzema is experienced enough to know when to feel the contact, when to go down, what positions to be in, in certain areas and how to manage his body throughout a, a game of 90 minutes. He's not going to go full full pelt in the first 15 minutes and knacker himself out because he hasn't got the pace. Um, so it's it's going to be going to be interesting to watch and they are definitely going to have to keep the eyes up because he's a great little link-up player as well little knockdowns little flicks here and there so yeah he's definitely the, the one player I am worried about for Madrid yeah 100% he's their biggest threat I mean for the last 10 years he's he's gone under the radar because of the sheer amount of goals Ronaldo scored and I suppose Bale's excitement factor and you know James Rodriguez was signed as well but um, I think he's he made Ronaldo you know I won't say he made him a lot better, but he made him better, definitely. I think Ronaldo had a good and astonishing Real Madrid career in no small part, thanks to Benzema. Um, while he's also managed to, I suppose, score 20 goals a season on top of that. So, yeah, he's still world-class, in my opinion. Um, I suppose, as well as Benzema, you have the pace of Vinicius and Rodrigo, Asensio, whoever plays on the wings. They're going to probably, you know, threaten Phillips and Kabak's lack of pace or, you know, lack of ability to turn. Um, so, yeah, definitely ball into Benzema's feet with somebody running off him is, is definitely going to worry me. Fingers crossed that we get a positive result in both <clears throat> these games. You do kind of think that the next seven to ten games really will shape what Liverpool's latter end of the season will look like. <clears throat> Excuse me. Before we go, um, we're going to talk the big question of the week, which is a new feature that we do at the end of every show. Put the, a question to the guys about the world of football and see what they think. This week, we're going to be talking about international football, given the fact that we're in the middle of an international break that seems to have gone on for eternity. Um, so we've seen, particularly England, they've played a couple of games against San Marino and Albania. They've won quite handily, particularly the San Marino game, obviously, was 5-0. It's raised a few questions in the media and online about whether international football qualifiers need a bit of a shake-up. Do you think we need to bring in some kind of system of pre-qualifiers to prevent these kind of games where, you know, England go up against San Marino, for example, when, you know, before balls kick, they're going to win four or five nil. Um, does it really help England? Does it really help San Marino? What are they really learning from being beaten quite handily game after game? What do you think, James? 
Yeah, I, I agree with with everything that's been said and um, in the media and obviously what you've just said there. There's, it's just a complete waste of time for England to be playing San Marino because you'll be watching the game and someone will turn around, one of the commentators will say, and the guy playing up front for San Marino, he works nine to five on the tills in his local supermarket. And you just think, really, we're missing out on high quality Premier League games for this. It's, it is it is atrocious. Um I agree. There should be a, a pre-qualifier, um, but I think you know these, you know UEFA and and FIFA, are, they're just getting a bit too greedy. You know they're even now throwing in the third best team of the group can go to the international tournaments, and it just feels like as if you're an international country, you automatically get to come into the qualifiers. Um, it really, like you said, and everyone makes a big deal of, you know, Trent got dropped from the squad, and what does, what does that mean? You know. Reese James and etc. are going to get ahead of him, and he's played against San Marino and Albania. I mean, no disrespect to Reese James; he's a good player. But have we learned any more about him in those two games to say he deserves to go more than Trent? It, it's just a complete waste of time. Yeah, being an Irishman, I probably am not in the best position to say anything <laughs> about these smaller nations because he lost to Luxembourg. So yeah, definitely boosted you and if you're watching the place. In our England play Germany every week rather than England playing Gibraltar and San Marino and whoever else. Um, you might want to just do that again, Paddy. We, we, we lost you just as you said Luxembourg. <laughs> the, the universe must have oh, no, been want to talk um, about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I'm trying to think what I even said after that. Um, yeah, okay. So, yeah, I don't think we're in any position to judge, so... Yeah, look, it would definitely boost the viewing experience. I mean, if we saw England playing Germany every week or, or every international break or some of the other big teams clashing, um, you know, it'd definitely be more interesting for these small nations that, you know, they're trying to grow and, and build a team. And, you know, I suppose watching your country win a big game is, is massive. Like for even though, if even if they don't win too many, getting a win, you know, small nation as small as they are. So I think they the money from playing these big games to grow and for the interns to them, I think, yeah, maybe not. We just leave it as it is because um, while the big nations are suffering, you know, small guys need a bit of a, a dig out as well. I think as well is that it's a difficult balancing act between obviously you want, you don't want these games from like an England perspective and like a Liverpool perspective. You don't want your players to be risking injury in these me- supposedly, you know, meaningless I mean, this game obviously is a World Cup qualifier. You have to win the qualifiers to get to the tournament. But it's difficult when you know we saw Joe Gomez get injured in the training session, so we know we know what can happen. Um, but also for these guys for San Marino, you know they're getting to play at Wembley, they're getting to play at these massive stadiums against these massive teams all around the world, where they might be getting beat quite heavily. It might be a, you know it's once in a lifetime opportunity for some of these guys to play. So it's, it's a delicate balance in that. But I'm definitely. You know, think it doesn't like James's example is really good. It doesn't teach us anything about Reese James. It doesn't teach us anything about England's system or England's midfield. It's just you could basically put any anyone with an English passport in the team, and, and you know that, that you're going to get the three points. So we'll see what happens there. Um, that's the end of this week's show. We'll be back next week after the Real Madrid game to talk about that, as well as previewing the Aston Villa upcoming fixture and the second leg against Real Madrid so look forward to that next week um James Paddy thank you as always for your time 
Thank you for having us. Cheers. And until then, you can get plenty of content from Anfield Central. Um, our website has got articles going up all the time on all things to do with Liverpool. That's anfieldcentral.co.uk, as is our Twitter account, which is at Anfield underscore Central. Until then, we'll see you next time.